got a song in my heart. I want to sing it to you just a little bit. If you want to sing with me, just keep, you can come along and sing with me. But I always start off way too high, but I'm going to try to start down low. Shackled by a heavy burden Neath the load of guilt and shame Then the hand, and then the hand of Jesus touched me And now, and now I am no longer the same Remember that song, He Touched Me? He touched me Oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something, remember that? Something happened. Come on. And now I know Jesus touched me and made me whole. July, July the, so July the 25th, uh, 1735, a man by the name of John was born in England. John's mom was a godly, uh, godly lady, loved the Lord Jesus, loved her family, took her family to church. The dad, can't say the same for the dad. He, um, kind of like today, sometimes dads don't lead, don't spiritually lead their families, and the mom would take her kids to church and but something tragic happened when John was only six years of age the mom passed on from this life went to heaven and so the dad now begins to uh, raise the son and the dad was a captain uh, of ships and he would take his merchandise all over England and beyond and he would take his son with him and his son by the time he was 11 he was he was a pretty experienced sailor not only in skills with the hands but with the words that came out of his mouth. Y'all know what I'm saying? I mean, he had some loose lips and he just let the curse words fly. And so John, he, he grows up and he follows right in the footsteps. Guess, I'm gonna give you a choice. A, his mother, or B, his father. His father. And so John, he was, um, he was enlisted to serve in the, in the Navy because he was such a good man, a good captain, but he deserted. He said, I don't have anything to do with the Navy. And they caught him, they beat him, they stripped him, almost beat him within an inch of his life. And so he lived through that. And then he got into something he never should have gotten in. And later on, he knew it was a tragic mistake, but he got into slave trading. And he would go over into West Africa and he would take the African people and he would deport them all over the known world and sell them uh, into slavery. But things began to happen in John's life. For example, he contracted this awful fever and he literally, I mean, he was at the brink of death, but he was supernaturally spared. Another time he was out on the open seas and there was a, a violent storm, a hurricane, and he thought for sure his life was going to end, but it didn't, and his life was spared. And those two instances, coupled with his mother's testimony from his early years, began to turn his heart toward Christ. And then he made a mistake. He made a mistake. If he didn't want his life to be changed, he should have never read this book. But somebody gave him a copy of the classic book in Christendom, Thomas Akempis, uh, The Imitations of Christ. And he began to read that book. And at 39 years of age, John Newton got on his knees and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he was changed. He was born again, saved by the grace of God. You say, thank you for sharing that story with me, but who is this guy? 
amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He's the one that wrote those words. At 82 years of age, John Newton said these words. As a pastor in Cambridge, at the Anglican church there in Olney, he said, you know, I'm old and I'm about to go to glory, but I just want to tell y'all two things. Number one, I am a great sinner. That's what he said. He said, and number two, Jesus is an awesome savior. Oh, amen. I'm a sinner, but Jesus is an awesome savior. Today, we're going to talk about what it means when God touches you, when the amazing grace of God invades you, when salvation's light and dawn and ocean just flows over you, what happens to a mere mortal when Almighty God comes into contact with us, our sinful selves? Well, what happens? Well, we are changed. We are changed in a moment. So we're continuing our study in the, in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And we're going to meet a man today who was changed. I mean, there is an obvious, conspicuous, I mean, a palpable change in the life of a man by the name of Judah. Judah goes from this hardened brother who just hates his, his half-brother Joseph. He's a very sexually promiscuous, immoral man, and ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law of all people because he thought she was a harlot. Yeah, all of that is in the book of Genesis. I tell you, the Bible's pretty uh, R-rated at times. And you read Genesis chapter 38, and this guy by the name of Judah, and you see his, his life, his immorality. His, in chapter 37, you see his harshness towards his brother, that real acerbic, I mean, polemical, hateful spirit. But then in chapter 44, look, who is this guy? And what did you do with Judah? I mean, where's the old Judah? Who is this mediator who's standing before the prime minister of Egypt and begging for the life of his youngest brother, Benjamin. Don't you love stories of change? I mean, real change, heartfelt, soulish change, where you go from death to life, where you go from darkness to the light, when you go from depression and despondency and despair to, I mean, just joy and peace and filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, wow, does that still happen today? I mean, you said that happened in the book of Genesis and it happened in the 18th century England, but I'm here to testify, dear friend, somebody ought to testify. I'm testifying that it happens today. It's the amazing grace of God. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 44. I'll tell you what, why don't we just read the whole book? Why don't we just read the whole chapter? He said, well, I'm hungry. I am too, um, but I'm more hungry for this. I'm more hungry for the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I, my, my soul comes today. And I've been, I've been preaching a bunch all week. Ask my son. My son's like, oh, my word. I never heard a man preach so many times in my, all my life. But Leighton was there, and we were teaching and pouring into these pastors and their wives and hour after hour. And they were like sponges. I mean, they were just soaking up the nutrients of the Word of God. And I pray that you soak it up too. I hope. I hope it just blesses you today that you're, you're in church, you're hearing the word of God and the word of God is just washing over your soul. Oh, listen, it's giving you a cleansing, a, a spiritual bath. And so that when you leave, you've been purified and washed by the precious word of God. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So let's look at it. Okay, let's see. These are out, Remember? But you got your Bibles, uh, Genesis 44. Hey, good, Sean, Sheffield, I saw you raise that Bible. 
Uh, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Amen. Y'all have got your Bibles? If not, you're going to have to lean on over and, and look at somebody else. Hey, how many of you got your phone? Get you a Bible app and open it up. Man, I have to read my Bible app all the time because I can't hardly see much anymore. Break down and get glasses one day. But here we go. Genesis chapter 44. Let's read it. Now he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So what is going on? Let's stop for just a minute. What, what's happening here in our story? Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. 20 years ago, he was sold into captivity by his own flesh and blood, 10 brothers. Benjamin, I learned this week, was at about seven years of age at home. He, is, he has nothing to do with this. He has nothing to do with this conspiracy, with the selling of a brother into slavery. Benjamin is at home with Jacob, and he's, he's with his father. And yet the other brothers are very jealous. They're very vengeful. They're very hateful. And they sell their brother Joseph to Midianite traders who come in, and, and those traders take Joseph, and they sell him into Egypt. And from there, I mean, the brothers think, well, he's dead and gone. Ain't no Hebrew boy going to make it in Egypt especially some teenager, they, they will rip him to pieces. And that's okay with us because we don't want to have anything to do with him anyhow. He's our f father's favorite. He gets on my everlasting nerves. And, and I'm just so glad that he is out of mind, out of sight, out of the way. But as God would have it, God reached down into the life of Joseph and lifted him up. And not only did God bless him and get him through some incarceration, some prison years, but God just kept elevating Joseph to the point that he appears before the Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh has this crazy, wild dream. Joseph interprets the dream accurately, correctly, and Pharaoh says, man, the Spirit of God Almighty is on your life. I want to make you my right-hand man. I want to make you the prime minister of Egypt. And he does. And so he has gone literally from the dungeon to the pinnacle of power in the known world. Now, everybody knows this except Jacob and his sons. They're off in Canaan. They're up way away. I mean, like three weeks journey away. And so they get hungry during the famine and they come and they appear before Joseph and Joseph, he recognizes them. And Joseph begins to submit them to a battery of tests. And Joseph tests them to see if where their hearts are. And he also is ascertaining information about Jacob and about Benjamin and about the family, uh, his, his brother and his father. And so they, they come and they, they get their food and they, and they go back. And this time they come to get more food. They get their food and now Joseph plays a trick on them. And let's read the trick. Watch what happens. So let's do this, he said to the steward. Put my cup. The silver cup, mentioned only three times, this word for cup, gabia, it's only mentioned three times in all the, the Hebrew Bible. But take this cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, that youngest would be Benjamin, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, all 11 of them. All the brothers are sent away. They're heading back to Canaan, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city... And we're not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, now get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. All right, so look, look at verse 6. So he overtook them, the steward did, and he spoke to them the same words. And they said to him, well, why does my Lord say these words? 
Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Y'all see what's going on here? Joseph has planted the silver cup in Benjamin's backpack, if you will, and he's doing all this as a, as a ploy to test them to see kind of, have they changed? What is their heart really like? Will they turn on the youngest like they did me? Has their hearts really changed? Are they repentant? Have they learned anything from this famine and, and the things that Joseph has, has done and said to them? Well, he puts them through this test. Now he says, with whomever the, the, the boys did, of your servants, this is found, let him die and we will also be my Lord's slaves. And he said, now also, let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily, you know why they speedily let down their, their sacks? Because they knew they were all innocent. Because no one would dare steal from the prime minister there of Egypt. So they let down his sack to the ground and each man opened up his sack. And lo and behold, he searched and he began with the eldest Reuben and he left off all the way to Benjamin and there it was. The cup of divination was found in Benjamin's sack. And so the first thing I want to talk to us about today is Joseph is the tester. He is putting his brothers uh, to the test and it is an ingenious plan. He has this idea that he will plant this silver cup into the back sack, the back pack, if you will, of Benjamin. And then when they get out just a little way from Egypt on their way back to Canaan, and man, they're joyful, they're almost gleeful because things have just turned around for them. Things are going well for them now and, and the steward overtakes them. And, and here's interesting to me, I don't know that he has a posse with him. I don't know, maybe it's just him by himself, but he stops the brothers and he says, my Lord's cup, that cup that he loves so much, it is missing. And we think one of you stole it. And the brothers are going, why? No way. We would dare not do such a foolish thing. And so they began to look at each man's sack. And as I just read, there it is in Benjamin's backpack. You know, this is an interesting thing about divination. Let's talk about this for just a minute. The, the Hebrew word there is nakash. And, and divination, it means to prognosticate. It means to observe, to look into the future. And here's what's going on in Egypt back then. They had this belief that when you sprinkled in small particles of gold and silver into this magical cup, this cup of enchantment, divination, if you will, that somehow the spirits would stir those, those particles in that wine or whatever it was they were drinking, and there would be some kind of message delivered from the, from the spirit world unto the priest or the prophet or the person who is the spiritual person in that culture. So... What is going on here? Has God chosen to speak to Joseph through the mixing of the particles to the cup of divination? I, I agree with Henry Morris when he says, absolutely not. Here, here's what's going on here in this story. Uh, Joseph knows that you don't do that. Uh, God's word commanded in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, God says any form of divination, it is strictly prohibited by the Israeli people. And I think Morris is right. Here's his explanation, and let me give it to you. Let me, let me just ask you a question, by the way. Did anybody else, when you read that text, did any of your antenna go up and go, oh, what is that? Y'all are looking at me like, no, pastor, you're just weird. You just think different than the rest of us. No, I bet 
Some of you Bible scholars out there are going, why is Joseph having something strictly prohibited in his hand? And Henry Morris is right. Listen to what he says. It's probably this is what happened. Joseph in his dealings with his brothers was still simply adapting his image to that of an Egyptian leader who had priestly functions as well as political. Such a man, particularly a man who was known to have the remarkable abilities of a prophet, he might be expected by those who did not know better to be a practitioner of the occult arts of Egypt. I think Dr. Morris is right. I think Joseph is just playing the part. He is pretending to be that person of divination because he is playing the part to make sure those brothers have absolutely no idea who he really is. He is concealing his true identity. But what Joseph does here is masterful. He is subjecting them to this final, cumulative, comprehensive exam. By the way, chapter 45 is amazing. We come back next week, Lord willing, we dive right into 45. It's just a holy reunion, hoop nanny, party, praise God. But before that happens, Joseph is going to test them to see if their hearts had truly changed. And by the way, if they are going to be the, the 12 tribes of Israel, if they're going to be the future men of God that they need to be, they need to be tested. They need to be disciplined. They need to be strong in their, in their leadership. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, it's one of my favorite Proverbs, it's 17.3, it says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold. Stay with me. And the Lord tests the heart. The, the refining of silver, they put it in that, that pot and, and it burns away the impurities and the dross and so that you have that pure silver. The same could be said for gold in the furnace. The gold, it's heated and, and it bubbles up and that which is, uh, yeah, that, that which is tarnished, it, it's skimmed off of the top and all you have left is, is pure gold. And, and Joseph's doing that to these boys and God is allowing it because God does test our hearts. He allows us to go through times of testing. Did I say temptation? No, God does not, he does not tempt any of us but he does test us. He tests us to see what we're really made of. And so some of you are going, well, that's pretty harsh of Joseph, but he has a plan. Don't judge him yet. He has a plan. Let's look and see what happens in, in number two. Point number two, and this is the 10 brothers. Watch what happens. They are the repentant ones. This will bless you. Look at verse 13. Then they tore their clothes. Each man loaded his donkey and they went back to the city or they went back to Egypt. So Judah, here he comes. Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and they, he was still there, by the way. Joseph's still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man, I think that's the key there. Look, look at that church. This is really interesting. You see the part he's playing? Don't you know that a guy like I would, would certainly need my divinating cup. Don't, don't y'all know that? You see, he's still playing this part. Okay, verse 16. Then Judah said, ah, Judah steps up to the plate. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has indeed found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. Both we, wow. Both we and he, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. 
And verse 17 says, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall only be my slave. And as for you, you go up in peace to your father. So here's, here's what the test consists of. Joseph says, okay, the guilty one is Benjamin. And what I'll do is I'll just keep Benjamin here. And you boys, the, you 10 guys, why don't y'all go on back to Canaan and tell your father we, we said hello. Now, in a moment, you're going to see where that is impossible. They, they could never go back to Canaan without Benjamin because Judah told them, I mean, uh, their father Jacob told them, whatever you do, do not come back from Egypt without Benjamin because this already happened to me once. You, you rascals, you took my boy Joseph and I never saw him again. So if you take Benjamin, you make sure you bring him back. And so here's the test and here's how the brothers responded. It is fabulous the way they responded. In verses 13 and 14, they tore their clothes in an act of humility and contrition. Did you see that? Ripped their clothes. Number two, uh, the Bible says they all went back to Egypt together. They did not flee, but they took responsibility. Are y'all noticing this? They all went back together. How easy it would have been to say, Benjamin, woo, man, you are busted. See ya, I'm out of here. See ya, Felicia. I'm out of here. You go back and you're the one that's going to have to pay for your crime. And man, we're out of here. And if the steward tries to stop us, well, there's 10 of us. We'll overpower him and we'll kill him. And, you know, he can die just like one of the old brothers died many 20 years ago. And we'll get on back to Canaan. They did not do that. Why? Because their hearts are changed. They've repented of that sin. That sin has haunted them for 20 plus years. And you don't believe me? Then read chapter 42, 21, 22, 28. It was always in the forefront of their mind. That egregious, heinous act of betrayal. They betrayed Joseph. So, so powerfully did they betray him. It's in their hearts and minds that we'll never do this again. Number three, they fall before Joseph in verse four. They did not argue for their innocence. They just said, we are guilty. And number four, they repented. They turned. They, they said, notice the references to, we have done these things. They are innocent of the present accusation. But they are painfully guilty before God for what they did to Joseph many years before. So you got this dynamic story going on here. And these ten brothers, they... They make an A plus, but they make a 99 on this exam. It would have been so easy for them to revert back to their old days and just sell this youngest brother into slavery as well. But they all go back, and it's such a moving, compassionate story. These guys, man, their hearts have really changed. And Joseph is testing them to see, are y'all going to do to him what you did to me? That's what he's doing. Are y'all going to mistreat him? And are you going to betray him as you did for me? And the last thing is, in, in number three, I want us to notice how Judah intervenes as the mediator. And this will take us from 18 through 34, but it moves so quickly. Let me read the story to you. Uh, one writer says this about what Judah is about to say. This portion of Scripture is unexcelled in all of the Old Testament. But that's not what Martin Luther said. <laughs> Martin Luther, it's interesting. He said, why would God include 
Genesis chapter 44 in the sacred canon of Scripture, it's basically useless. That's what Martin Luther said. And he said, Genesis 44, I don't know why God would allow that to be in the canon of Scripture. It's just this story about these guys. And so he just passed over. We're not going to pass over this. Hey, listen, I believe every word in this book is there for a reason. Even the genealogies, Brother Danny, even the genealogies. When you read your Bible through in Numbers and Leviticus, do you read those people? Yes, I do. Why? Because I'm just supposed to. I don't get anything out of it either, except I believe it's recorded in there and I'm just going to read it. And God just knows more than I do. And all of it is important. This is really important. Watch this. Then Judah came near to Joseph and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. Can I remind you, this is the same man in chapter 37 who said, Guys, let's don't kill him, but let's sell him into slavery. Joseph, 20 years earlier. Same man, chapter 38 who has this illicit relationship. He thinks with this harlot, but it's his daughter-in-law. It's this wicked, truncated mess. But here he is 20 years later. Don't tell me a person can't change. They can change. All of us can change. By the power of God, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God coming in us, he can radically change us so that we are not what we used to be. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a what like me? A wretch like me. I once was lost, but praise God, I'm found, was blind. But now I see because he touched me. Oh, here he goes. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? Remember, prime minister, you, you asked us this, and we said to you, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead. Is that not ironic? <laughs> he's, he's telling the guy that's supposed to be dead, you're dead. <laughs> and the guy, Joseph, just looking at him. You know, Our brother's dead. And he, Benjamin, alone is left of his, of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Remember, Mr. Prime Minister, you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said... Remember, Mr. Prime Minister, you said, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. Now, to see my face no more, church, means you will not be able to buy any grain and you will die. And the rest of your family will die. So it was when we went to, up to your servant, my father. And we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back, get us a little bit of food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man. Now, the man is the prime minister of Egypt. It's Joseph. We, we may not see his face unless our youngest brother is with us. Now, 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 watch this. Then your servant, my father, Jacob, told us, and this is what I was talking about earlier, you know that my wife bore me two sons. That would be Rachel. Bore me two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. Now, I don't know if y'all can feel the pathos, the, just the passion, the brokenness of this older man. He, he just, he's just about to weep his eyes out because he, his mind goes back to, to Joseph and how he thinks he's dead. But if you take this one, if you take Benjamin from me, 
and calamity befalls him, oh my, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and this boy is not with us, let me tell you something. His life is bound up in the lad's life. It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us. He will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety. Now, when he says your servant, he's talking about himself, Jacob. I mean, excuse me, Judah. (laughs) Judah says, I became surety for the lad to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, here's the last two verses. Watch this, church. This is so powerful. Please, let me, let your servant remain instead of Benjamin. Let me be the slave to my Lord and let the lad go on up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Such a touching, very riveting, powerful passage of Scripture. Judah steps up to the plate, and he literally becomes the mediator. If you're taking notes, it's Joseph the tester. The brothers, they are the repentant ones. And then you have have Judah. Judah steps up to the plate, and and watch this, church. He, He stands. This is Joseph, okay? And Benjamin probably standing right here beside him, and the brothers are in the background. He goes, sir, please. He said, if if Benjamin, if he doesn't go back, our father, it it will kill him, literally. He will die of a broken heart. So here's what I'm asking. If it's okay with you, sir, please, please, let him. (laughs) Let him go. Let him him go. I know he's guilty of sin. (laughs) I know he stole your precious cup, and I'm very sorry for that. But please just let him go free. And I'll take it. I'll bear it, whatever the price. You need a slave, I'll be your slave. But sir, please, whatever you do, please let him go. I know he's guilty, but let him go. I don't know if y'all remember Cliff Cliff Barrows. Does that name sound familiar to anybody? Kind of going old school on y'all for just a minute. Cliff Barrows was the song leader for a young flaming evangelist out of North Carolina. Anybody remember his name? Yes, Billy Graham. And Cliff Barrows, like the other Graham team, they would spend a whole lot more time on the road, you know, than they would at home. It was just, it, it, was, it was fabulous times in ministry, but it was also hard on the family. And Cliff Barrows had um, two sons, I mean, two, he had two children. And these two small children had done something that their father strictly prohibited. And in the story, it doesn't say what they did, but whatever they did... Cliff Barrow says, if you ever do this again, and I'm going to go old school on you, I'm going to wear you out. I mean, you're going to get a spanking. And what's wrong with that, for heaven's sake? Well, anyhow, I'm a, you're going to get a spanking if you do that again. Sure enough, he came home off the road. Guess what? Little Bobby and Betty Ruth, guilty as sin. I mean, they're thinking maybe dad will just forget, but we're just going to do this again and have a fine time with it. And they did. And he came home and he called them. He said, I called them into my room. I took off my belt. 
Anybody remember them days? Oh, or worse, go outside and cut me off a switch. And we're going to spank you for what you've done. I'd bring in this old flimsy, limby thing, you know, you can't hurt anybody with it. Go back out and get me another switch. And so Cliff Barrel says, here it is, takes off his belt, then takes off his shirt. Isn't that odd? <laughs> Took off his shirt. Took off his T-shirt. Took the belt and put it in their hands. He says, somebody's got to pay. I ask y'all not to do it, but somebody has to pay the penalty. I'm going to pay the penalty this time. And what I need you boys and girls to do, I need you, each one, to lash me ten times on the back as hard as you can. And he said, oh, the tears. He said, the little, little boy and little girl's like, oh, no, 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 Daddy, we, we deserve it. He said, no, somebody's got to pay. So he leans over the bed, and he says, you had never heard such wailing and crying. They did not want to do it, but I told them, and I'm quoting him now, the penalty had to be paid, and so through their sobs and their tears, they did what I told them. You know, I smile when I remember the incident. I must admit, I wasn't much of a hero. It hurt. But I haven't offered to do that again, and it was a once-for-all sacrifice. I guess we could say, but I never, I never had to spank those two children again because they got the point. We kissed each other, and when it was over, we prayed together. A mediator, somebody who will stand on our behalf, even though we're so guilty, who will bear the pain. Anybody want to guess who was born of the lion and the tribe of Judah? Just, just asking. That would be Jesus. He was born in that lineage of all, of all those tribes, it was the tribe of Judah from which Jesus came. And what a picture. What a beautiful picture. Let, let's go back to the analogy. Here, let's say this is God the Father. And this is Jesus. And this is you. And this is me. And Jesus says, Father, give it, give it to me. I know he's guilty. I know she's guilty. But I want, them to, I want them to go in peace. I want them to be forgiven. And I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put all the pain, all your wrath, and all of your justice, pour it on me so I can forgive them. And guys, what you've just experienced is the propitiation, the substitutionary atoning death of Christ. When Jesus Christ took upon himself the wrath, he took all the guilt he took all the sin. He took upon all those things in his own body. He bore them on the tree of Calvary. He bled and he died so that you and I could go free, so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins, so that you and I, those sinful we are, to the very core we are, so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and we could enter into the royalty of heaven and it's all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. That is the gospel story. And you see it often in, in the life of, of Joseph. You see it, he's a type of Christ, if you will, sold for pennies, silver, betrayed by those that he loves dearly. But 
He's like he's dead and he comes back to power and, and royalty. And you see all that figuring. You see all those types in Joseph that represents Christ. But right here in Judah, I think you see such a profound representation of what Jesus has done for us. John Newton, bless your heart. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Two things I know. I am a great sinner. But Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You say, but Pastor, that sounds almost, anybody, too good to be true. How could he bear the brunt of the Holy One so that I can be forgiven? I, I don't know. I don't know. In God's economy, in God's mathematics, in God's mind, I, I mean, we, we get absolutely the best deal in the universe. Only, only if we will receive it. And so if you're here today and you've never received God's forgiveness and God's, uh, you know, his, his blood coursing through you and washing over you, man, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to say, Christ, maybe for the first time, in a sermon of all places, Genesis 44, for the first time I see the gospel and I see that I'm the guilty one, that you are the redeeming Savior. And I confess to you my sins. I'm very, very sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry that you bore all my sin on the cross. And what I want to do is I just want to humbly give you my life. I, I, I want to repent of my sins. I want to ask for your pardon, for your mercy. And here's what happens, guys. When we do that, God abundantly forgives us. I mean, our name's recorded in the book of life. And here we are. We go scot-free to do what? To live like we won't? No. We, we live for the one who purchased us. And it's not a burden. It's, it's not a, this huge weight of responsibility. It is an absolute joy to worship him. It is an awesome privilege to bear witness for him, to go on mission for him, to pray to him, to read the Bible for him, to, to walk with him, to be godly men and women, all in honor, all in appreciation for him who died for me. That's the gospel. That is, that is the gospel in a nutshell. So let me ask you to bow your heads and Close your eyes and we'll enter into a time of invitation for those of you here today yet to receive Christ, receive his pardon and his forgiveness. We want to invite you to do that right now. We don't want you to delay. We want you to enter into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. It's not what you do. It's who you know. And when you know him, you're forgiven, you're cleansed. And then you do, then you serve, then you commit and, and walk and do good deeds in Jesus' name because of what he has done, the transformation that has happened in your life. I, you know, I can't read people's minds and I certainly can't see within their hearts, but could there be many listening this very day who have yet to experience the forgiveness of God, the joy of the Holy Spirit, when he comes into us and takes occupancy and he resides in our mere mortal beings. Have you, have you done that? Some of you would say, no, I have not. So let me just speak to you in this prayer. Would you, right where you are, where you're seated, would you just pray with me and just ask God 
to come into your life and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You, you can just repeat after me. You can say it quietly and in your spirit, in your heart. Dear God, thank you. You are just. Tell him, God, you are holy. I'm not. I am sinful. And I thank you that Jesus bore my sin in his body on the cross. So Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life by your spirit. I, I ask you to please forgive me. I walk away from all my sin, all the stuff that I'm involved in. And Jesus, I just cast myself upon your altar of mercy. Save me, oh God. Change me. Touch me in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let, let me encourage you on this. Please, 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 before you leave, would you let somebody know what has happened to you? I mean, listen, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to have an invitation. And man, we would be thrilled if you were to come forward physically and take us by the hand and explain to us, listen, I'm that person. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the John Newton today who was come in here very stained and very sinful. And now I feel like I've been set free. I, I feel like a bird has been let out of a cage and I just got to tell somebody. And Jesus Christ has become my Savior and my Lord. Would you let us know so we can talk to you, so we can encourage you, we can disciple you. Others of you are here today and God is so good to you. He's blessed you. He's, he's led you to a place called Great Hills Baptist Church here in, in Austin, Texas. And and the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you to himself, to our church. And God wants you to be a part of what we're doing, what we're about. About this radiant church trying to reach many with the gospel. And we want you to come and be a part with us. So, Father, I pray in the name, above every name, Jesus, that, God, you would speak to us. When we stand in a moment, you would continue to speak to us. And your voice would drown out the little voice of doubt and temptation and sin and and, and memories haunting past and, and guilt and all those things, God, would your voice champion and would your voice be just the preeminent clarion voice that we hear as we all respond, Lord, to you and to your grace afresh and anew. And Lord, especially, I pray, you would save people in this hour, in this very place. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And I say amen. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let's all stand. Let's sing to the Lord. We'll have some, some pastors up here, some, I don't know, some, some counselors and some people that would just love to pray with you and encourage you. And uh, so God bless you as we sing. Would you, would you come? Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Let us pray with you.